Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. It's primary day in Connecticut, and we'll have coverage throughout the day, including a special tonight at 8 o'clock with me and Colin McEnroe. Please get out and vote today, but only if you're already registered as a Democrat or a Republican. Yes, Connecticut is one of 28 states that holds closed primaries, meaning that only members of those two parties get to vote today. Now, that's too bad because in our state, the largest block of voters, nearly 800,000 people, are unaffiliated with any party. We have about 700,000 Democrats and about 400,000 Republicans. Now, I can hear party loyalists yelling at me now saying, well, if you want to vote, then register with a party, preferably my party. But for many unaffiliated voters, their choice isn't a lazy one. It's a real choice not to be part of either major party. Even if they choose to affiliate with a third party, they still don't have a place at the polls today. Since primaries aren't really meant to, or they are really meant to choose party nominees, those loyalists might say, we don't want outsiders mucking up the process with tactical votes, like for a candidate they actually think would lose in November. Plus, they'll say, it's our party, so we get to set the rules. And there are so many rules, pledged and unpledged delegates, superdelegates, proportional voting in some states, partially proportional voting in others. And of course, everything could be wiped out by a floor fight at the national conventions. It's led supporters of this year's two populist candidates, Democrat Bernie Sanders and Republican Donald Trump, to cry about rigged elections. Why am I crying about it? Well, the problem is that as states struggle to pay the bills and as our country struggles with civic engagement, the primary system we have today forces taxpayers to pay for elections that aren't really binding elections at all. And that drives a deeper wedge into our already fractured idea that voting matters. So today where we live, I'll be joined by some elections experts and we'll take some of your calls. Do you think we need a better primary system or do you love the one that we have? We want to hear from you. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. Comment on our website, wnpr.org slash where we live. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Later in the program, I will outline my Dan Kosky plan to fix the primary system. And our next guest, Michelle Whitaker, who's communications director for Fair Vote, will probably laugh at my plan, but I'm going to pre- prepare it anyway. Michelle Whitaker joins us from the studios of NPR in Washington, D.C. Michelle, welcome to the program. Hi, John. I'm uh, glad to be here. Good morning. Well, first of all, let's just talk about the system that we have right now. I, I outlined some of the issues that people have been bringing up throughout the course of this very long uh, primary uh, so far. And I have some of my own that we'll be talking about throughout the hour. What do you think of the primary system we've got, Michelle? Well, I, I think it's important to recognize with the primary system for presidential elections that it's a it's a process of obviously parties uh, uh, identifying their nominee for the general election. Um, but it's a process that is very public and that all Voters in various states are participating in different ways. Some it's a closed primary, some it's a semi-closed primary where they may have to declare um, at the on the day of the election or when they're receiving their ballot. And some are very open, and it's a process for any voters to participate. So it really is varied, and and it it may create some confusion for voters and other people who are, who are participating or observing the process in terms of how do how does this relate to 
the entire process of, of uh, selecting and electing a uh, president for the United States. And I think the reality is, is just recognizing that um, because these are parties and they are uh, uh, private organizations, there is this this competing um, battle between the the right to association for them to be able to define who their nominees are, and also making this a very open democratic process. And how do you balance the two? And so that's why you've seen such a very varied pr- uh, pr- uh, process that exists within the different states in terms of how they're actually doing this with conjunction, some with conjunction um, or participation from the state in terms of a state-funded primary, and some as caucuses that are actually run by volunteers within uh, the state parties. And so it creates a lot of differences in the ways that votes are counted. It creates a lot of differences in, the, in who can actually participate. And it creates a lot of questions. And I think this is a great opportunity for your listeners to, you know, really ask questions about, like, who who can vote? Why do we Why do we do this process the way we're doing it? How does this reflect who we are as Americans and what we believe are the the grounding principles of our democracy? And I think that's, you know, when you start to ask some of those questions, then you want to figure out ways that that you can um, make the system better to work for all voters. And I'm really interested, John, in your proposals, because I think (laughs) that there's a lot of different ideas that we can raise. And there are a number of people, uh, both Republicans, Democrats, independents, who have suggested different ways that we can reform the system. I think it's, you know, the basic principle, and this is what Fair Vote, we really focus on. We're looking at the systemic issues in our democracy, and we want to make sure fundamentally how do voters, how do citizens in the United States effectively participate in their government? And so when you're talking about elections, then how do you make sure that their voices are heard, that they're able to participate in their elections, and that you respect the rights of parties, private organizations to also have their rules uh, for how they're creating, they're uh, selecting their nominee. So so there's a lot to get to in there. And, and I'll get to a few of these things. One is this notion of clarity, because it is indeed confusing. Even within one state, you might not know what your vote means. You might not even know whether or not you can show up at the polls that day and, and register as a Democrat or Republican. In Connecticut, you can't. You know, if you're a Democrat uh, yesterday, you can't show up and say, I want to vote in the Republican primary today. But the rules are different in every state. I wonder, Michelle, if the lack of clarity about what exactly is happening in any given primary, if that is a problem that we do indeed need to solve. I think we we do need to solve that problem. It's not only related to the presidential elections. We also have uh, primary elections uh, that happen for congressional seats. And I think for Connecticut, you later this uh, in August, later in the summer, you'll come back to vote on uh, the congressional candidates that you have running. And it creates a situation where voters are coming back repeatedly to the polls to try and participate in their elections. They're not always familiar with when elections are happening they're happening at off times that maybe don't make sense for, you know, their schedule or when they think that uh, elections are happening. So it's a good it's a good opportunity for us to think, OK, what what are the what are the thing the issues that we're having within our current democratic system for uh, voters to be participate fully, for people to participate in the primaries, for voices to be heard, you know, it, things related to the schedule when when primaries are happening, uh, who's able to participate in the primaries. These are all valid questions, and I think that it gives us an opportunity to to really Im, um, improve the system. You know, you look at it, and America has been a laboratory for democracy for over 240 years. So 
if we continue in this process, it's about us really refining and expanding democracy so that voices are heard, that people can participate fully, that we have these different ideas, whether it's bubbling from different parties, independents, other voices. We really want to make sure that that happens. And and we've seen that happening over the years. And so it's it's this conversation is part of that that next way that we expand democracy. It is primary day in Connecticut, and we're talking about whether or not the primary system we have right now works, whether or not you'd like to see it reformed, changed in some way, just better understood. You can call us at 860-275-7266. We're talking with Michelle Whitaker, who is Communications Director for Fair Vote, and she joins us today from NPR in Washington, D.C. Let's go to Jameson in Beacon uh, Falls. Hi, Jameson. Go ahead. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, Great to be on the show. Thank you very much. Um, You know, I, I just have a hard time understanding the whole point almost of the primary process. I mean, I'm a veteran, and when I was younger, my, you know, even when I was in the military, my understanding was we were protecting the fundamental right of Americans to vote, and yet it seems like it's almost impossible for the vast majority of people to vote. I mean, I'm a, you know, obviously I live in Connecticut, and I myself, I can't vote because I'm not a party affiliate, you know, and it's kind of, I just don't understand the process, and I'm just interested in hearing on how it can be improved. You know, I mean, maybe there can be a sway bulk of votes or something along those lines, but... You know, I mean, it definitely just doesn't work the way it is. Well, Jameson, thank you so much for for lending your voice. And so, Michelle, let's get to that piece of it. You've mentioned this a little bit already, but this difference between states that run an open primary and a closed primary like Connecticut. uh, Again, the argument is that this is really to pick parties' nominees. This doesn't have to do with democracy in the same way that it does in in November in a general election. Uh, One worry that many people have is that people will vote tactically if you, you know, you show up as an unaffiliated voter and you really think Donald Trump can't beat Hillary Clinton in November, and so you vote for Donald Trump to win the nomination, all sorts of stuff that there are assumptions made about how people will will cast their vote. What's the argument for and against the closed or open primary system? So the argument for closed primaries is what you were just talking about in terms of it's the right to association, and, and this is from the party side of it, that we have collectively created our party the Republican or Democratic Party, Independent Party, Green Party. And we, as an organization, have the right to to nominate a candidate in the fashion that we want to. I think uh, Marco Rubio mentioned this uh, uh, several weeks ago that, you know, a party can choose whatever way. They can pick a nominee out of a hat if they wanted to. So it's not like the the parties have to follow a strict rule like they have to vote on the process. It's whatever process that the party that private association determines is the best way for them to move forward and uh, select a nominee. So in that sense, there is a there is a that right of a party to, to have their rules. When you're talking about open primaries, if a party is uh, deciding to work with the state to have a, a state-funded primary, then there I think there are some questions about how if that, st- that primary should actually be open versus being closed, because you have taxpayers, all taxpayers who are participating in that election or paying for that election, but only a fraction of them who are able to actually participate in that election. And so there, there is a question that, that needs to be answered in terms of what you do. Now, does that mean that you force all parties to go to a closed primary or to go to um, to an open primary? I don't think that we can answer that question. I mean, there needs to be some balance between what the parties do and how the states participate in that. But I think it's something that state parties, the national parties can really come together to figure out a way that really works and reflects voters participating in it. And, and then I think also, 
going on beyond that, we really need to make sure that the focus isn't only on what is going on in the primary, but also thinking about the general election. Maybe we also need different avenues for people to actually reach the, the general election. And so maybe the way that we've structured our primaries need to, there needs to be a different way so that uh, new voices, other additional voices can actually get into that general election process. So I think if you look at um, there's a website called Fix the Primaries. There's a number of different solutions that they offer. They also talk about rotating the schedule for primaries. But when you're talking about whether they're open or closed, that that is getting to a question about how the parties conduct their process. And so there is a question about that. Well, yeah. And I think that one of the issues is if the overriding goal is to get more people involved in the democratic process so that more people are able to exercise their right to vote, which, of course, isn't everyone's uh, idea of a fair system. <laughs> and there's an awful lot of people who wish fewer people would vote. But at the end of the day, if, if we change it and we figure out a way to get more people who are unaffiliated now involved in the system earlier, it might, as you suggest, lead to more people voting in general elections as well. Joel tweets at us, you know, this is the big foundational argument for me. Uh, parties should pay for their primaries. If parties are going to run it by their rules, maybe they should pay for the whole thing and not have state taxpayers uh, foot the bill. Let, let's go back to the phones here. Our friend Bill Curry, who uh, writes a, a column for Salon, of course, he's our Democratic political analyst. He's going to join us tomorrow in the wheelhouse uh, as we analyze everything that happened. Hey, Bill, on, on, what's on your mind right now? I mean, what do you think about the primary system we've got and, and how do you think we'd fix it? Well, I think a, a couple of things that, that uh, I uh, agree with uh, 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 all of the good work that Michelle's organization does and much of what she just said. And, uh, and this is a difficult question. The parties have been given this kind of very, it's sort of like, you know, Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption. <laughs> They're given this very special status for deeper reasons. Uh, but there are sort of inherent conflicts in it. And they're kind of the middleman between the voter and the, and the democracy itself and the government. Uh, and so there are, you know, the right to private association to make your own decisions is, is, is constitutionally recognized, and especially so in the political sphere. And at the same time, it is clear to everybody who has watched this system that what Sanders and Trump have said about it is true. It's rigged. On the Republican side, not only do you have all these winner-take-all primaries so that someone can win, you know, 36 or 40 percent of the delegates, 40 percent of the popular vote, and 51 percent of the delegates, uh, but you also have a system in which the winning candidate doesn't actually choose his or her delegates. Uh, the party does, and those delegates are bound to vote for that person, but they're not actually for that person. And here's the most one of the most important things to know about this rule is that up until now, 90% of registered Republicans didn't know it existed. They thought they were actually electing the delegates who were committed to their person for all the things that, you know, the rules and credentials and platform and the fight to multiple ballots. On the Democratic side, these superdelegates, in my opinion, are a farce, and especially the, the, the majority of them who were merely Democratic National Committee members. There's 714 superdelegates, a third of the number it takes to nominate, and 456 were never elected even to their party posts, let alone as delegates. <laughs> and so you find, you thought, voters, it's not just the candidates who are angry here, voters who went to the polls thinking they were picking a nominee mm. are finding out that, in fact, they weren't. They weren't even picking the delegates on the Republican side. They weren't picking enough of the delegates on the Democratic side. 
And so the anti-democratic nature of both parties has been laid bare by this 2016 presidential election. Yeah, well, to start, by the way, just with yeah. the rule and the Democratic side, no, let, let all these DNC members have floor passes and get to go to the convention and have a good time. None of them should be voting. Well, Bill Curry will tell us more about what he thinks about the uh, the primaries uh, tomorrow on the wheelhouse as he joins us in the studio. Bill, always great to hear from you. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, you know, when we come back from our break, we're going to hear more from Michelle Whitaker from Fair Vote. And we're going to hear more of your voices at 860-275-7266. A lot of people are saying this system of primaries is broken. So let's try to fix it. If you support the current system we have, we'd love to hear from you at 860-275-7266. You can also email us where we live at WNPR.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Join us tonight at 8 o'clock for special primary night coverage from WNPR. As the polls close, we'll get updates from across the state. Check in with surrogates from some of the campaigns. Join me in Colin McEnroe, 8 o'clock tonight, followed by NPR coverage of what's happening in all the other states around the Northeast that are voting in what they're calling the Acela primaries. That's tonight on WNPR. Today on Primary Day, we're trying to fix the primary system we have with Michelle Whitaker. She's communications director for Fair Vote. Joins us today from the studios of NPR in Washington, D.C. We're trading ideas with some of our callers, including Reese, who is calling from North Haven. Hi there, Reese. You're on where we live. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. What's up? Well, until recently, um, ideologically, I tend to lean more independent. And because of the way that this election cycle was going, I definitely wanted my voice to be heard. So recently, I registered as a Republican, which is not really where my um, thoughts tend to be. But I wanted to strategically vote against someone that I didn't want to win. So I don't know if any other listeners are in this situation, but it was frustrating as an independent that I couldn't vote in the primary unless I kind of chose one way or the other. So you were strategically voting to keep uh, John Kasich from being president. Is that is that what I'm hearing from you, Reese? Uh, no, I was actually strategically voting to keep Donald Trump from being president. I'm just kidding with you. But yeah. but but no, it's interesting and, and I think Michelle Reese raises a very good point. Thank you so much for your phone call. You know, this is one of the one of the sorts of voices we've heard, you know, Yes, you can you can choose to uh, to register with one party or the other, and then you can cast a vote like hers. But is that really what we're trying to do here, Michelle? Well, I, I think what you you want people you want voters to be able to honestly express their uh, their choices, their their voice in an election, and so. I, I want to touch on something that not only Reese uh, indicated, but also that Bill was uh, mentioning earlier in terms of uh, the the st- aspect of strategic voting really is something that doesn't allow for the democratic process to really be what it sh- truly could be. And that isn't a way for us to ultimately get the choices that we want. It's It's highly likely that if you try to strategically vote against another candidate, that your vote could be split with among the two other candidates. So if in Reese's case, if she's trying to, she doesn't want Trump to win. So um, she's either voting for Cruz or Kasich, then it's quite possible she's splitting the vote with other voters who have that like mind. But Trump still wins because of the winner take all system. The winner take all system, as Bill indicated, it's it, the the voter, the candidate with 30 percent or 40 percent gets all of the uh, votes, get may win uh, the the state primary. And so that situation sets up a case where voices aren't represented. And and that's where 
at Fair Vote, one of the things that we talk about is that winner-take-all is not representative democracy, and what we really need to do is move to a system where all votes can be fully expressed. And that's one option for doing that is using ranked choice voting. And that's an option where voters rank all of their candidates, and they rank them in order of choice. And by doing that, if their first choice is, is it does not receive enough votes, their next choice is considered. And that way you have a consensus candidate. You build on broad support across the state as opposed to our current winner-take-all system where, you know, if, if a candidate is winning 30 percent in a, in a state, they're actually 60 percent of the other voters, 70 percent of the other voters don't want that candidate. So we need to find a system that actually builds broad support that allows candidates to, or voters to fully express their uh, their voice. And and that's not in our current winner-take-all system. And that's why we really need to move towards a system like ranked choice voting. Do, do you think that ranked choice could work in a, in a presidential primary, different states voting, different times? Do you think it actually works uh, across America like that? I think it could work. Uh, we've been doing analysis at FairVote. We've been doing a, a primary focus series. And in that, we've been evaluating the current systems and how ranked choice voting could uh, could in in a way better express what voters are, are, are saying about the different candidates. And you would have more of a consensus candidate. You, you, when you're when the winning candidate, as they say, is is winning with 30 percent. That's really not a win. I mean, we all went to school when you had 30 or 40 percent on a, for a grade. You didn't call that winning, you know. <laughs> so that's something where we're the way we're looking at things right now. It doesn't it doesn't make sense in terms of really saying that this is a candidate that a majority of voters support. And so we need to get us to get to a system that actually allows for a majority of voters to express support for a candidate and for that to be actually uh, indicated in, in a way that that's um, that that is democratic. So. Well, let, let's get to some more phone calls. Scott McLean joins us. He's a professor of political science at Quinnipiac University. He follows this stuff about as closely as anyone. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, John. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. So what do you think? I mean, what do you like about the system we have? Or do you have some big changes you want to make to our primary system? Well, I think it depends on if we're talking about the Republicans or the Democrats. So are we talking about the are we talking about the Republicans right now? Because uh that seemed to be where we were. Right? Well, well, sure. If you want to talk about the Republicans, go for it. Uh, well, you know, I, I really agree with uh, Fairvote's analysis of this, that uh, rigged is probably a, a, a loaded term, but it, it definitely is a system that uh, magnifies the advantages of the person that gets the most votes. And, and uh, you know, having some sort of uh, proportional system closer to what the Democrats have instituted or uh, the idea of ranked choice voting. I, I really like the, the idea of uh, ranked choice voting. Um, I think it would be fair and bring in more deliberation. And I think most of all, it, it gives people, candidates, who um, are everyone's second choice. It can, there can be a consensus around a second or third choice, um, a better chance of, of uh, getting the nomination. Um, right now, you know, if you just look at the example of the Donald Trump campaign, um, he, he's winning primaries, but he's definitely not the second choice of the people who are voting against him. And that that tends to divide the political party uh, rather than unite it at the end. So we'll we'll see how this all plays out in Cleveland. 
Well, hey, hey, Scott, while I still have you in the line, I want to read a tweet from Mark. Mark writes us, and this is one of the things we wanted to get to. He says, we're missing the ultimate unfairness. In Connecticut, choices are limited by voters in Iowa, New Hampshire, and other states that vote before us. He says we need a national primary. Getting to this thing that we're talking about, Scott, with this this ranked system, the the folks who get to vote in the early primaries have a chance of like 17 Republicans. They might have Donald Trump as their first choice or their 17th choice, but there's all these other folks in the middle there, and ranked choice would have actually mattered. Here in Connecticut, right. we're down to only three choices. Do you think that uh, Mark makes a really good point that one of the biggest problems is we always give this you know, advantage to Iowa, New Hampshire, and all these other states that really shouldn't have this outsized importance? Well, there, there's a lot to that. I mean, part, part of this is, is our own state's fault for picking such a late primary date. Uh, we used to have our primary quite a bit earlier, and it made a little more difference. So so that's that's one part of the this could have been dealt with by the Secretary of the State and the legislature finding um, a, a date that's a little more closer. It does turn out that it does mean something, but not very much today. Um, on, on the national primary, um, I have to say I'm, I don't agree with the idea of a national primary. I think a much better plan would to be something structured along the lines of smaller states getting to vote first, and start to um, define some of these choices, but and then having uh, stages. Uh, so, so slightly larger states would get to go in the next round, maybe two or three weeks later, and then two or three weeks later again, larger states, and then the biggest states get to go last. And uh, a lot of the secretaries of state around the country have endorsed this kind of a plan because sequential voting does give voters a sense that um, they they can see who the stronger candidates are as they go along, and still everybody gets um, some kind of impact on on the final choice. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Great ideas in there. You're welcome. Let, let's go to Nancy and Meriden. Hi, Nancy. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I just want to start by saying I've been very involved in the political system. Until this year, I was a member of the Democratic National Committee. I was a member of my town committee. And my big concern is the superdelegate system. You know, people keep talking about democracy. It's feeling like an oligarchy where a few people get to really run the show. Um, all of our Connecticut superdelegates, except one, were committed to Hillary Clinton way before the primaries. And particularly for our elected officials, I expect them to do their job and represent the um, will of the people of this state. And they were all committed to Hillary. If Bernie Sanders wins today... I expect them to vote for Bernie Sanders. That's their job as representatives of uh, the constituents of this state. I have not renewed and will not renew my membership to the Democratic National Committee until the superdelegate system is abolished. Well, and so, and Nancy, I want to ask you about that, though. I mean, because this is really a system that's about the parties having their own rules to pick whoever they think their nominee is going to be, and they get a chance to choose the rules, and we can all quibble with that. I mean, should it be reform within the Democratic Party? Should the Democratic Party, in essence, get together and say, this is what we want to see after the kind of debacle that 2016 has, has, has been? Or do you think that the Democratic Party can actually and will actually change in the way that you're suggesting? Um, I would hope they will if enough of us um, don't uh, continue to support them and make our voices heard. I have, in fact, written to every one of my legislators and um, the governor um, and the Democratic National Committee expressing my dismay at the system, um, and to Elizabeth Warren, because she sent out a thing to those of us who didn't renew, saying, how come? And so um, 
I'm hoping that the Democratic, yes, I think the Democratic Committee needs to reform uh, what they're doing if they want us to remain involved with them. Um, I like the idea of what he was just saying about the smaller states going first. I would support that idea. Yeah, I'm writing that one down. These are a couple of good ideas. And Nancy, thank you so much. Let me get one more phone call here before I, I bring uh, our guest back in. Melissa's in Moosup. Hi there, Melissa. Go ahead. Hello. Hi. I think we should add none of the above to all of the ballots and have a national primary. And if none of the above wins, then we're stuck with what we have until we can pick something better together. <laughs> none of the above, it means the, the same people who are running things stay in place, huh? Yes. Yes. Until we can do better, then we just get stuck with what we have. Well, hey, th- thank you so much, Melissa. I really appreciate it. You know, um, Michelle, I, I often talk in this program with, with Ralph Nader, who's a Connecticut resident and who has big ideas about this sort of thing. And one of his, you know, when, when you ask him, you know, would you rather have a Democrat or a Republican if you can't have the candidate who you actually want? You know, he'll usually say something pithy like, would I rather have cancer or drug-resistant tuberculosis? <laughs> tuberculosis. And I think that that's really what our our last caller was getting at, right, is this question of, of if we don't have a good choice, should we have to make a choice? I mean, how does that sit with you? Well, I, I mean, I think it's we know that Americans, a number of Americans, over 70 percent in many of the the polls that have been done are, are really um, disaffected with the, how uh, their government is working and they're, and they're dissatisfied with the way politics are. And I, I would say that, you know, probably voting for none of the above and maintaining what you have is maintaining the status quo. So it doesn't really challenge uh, candidates or politicians to change what they're doing right now. But I do think that it's important for voters to express to say, like, I don't like these candidates or, you know, I'm I want the process to change. And that's what this conversation is all about. And that's why I think it's great that uh, Nancy has been contacting her uh, legislators and uh, Elizabeth Warren and others in the Democratic committee to, to change the process with superdelegates, because I think if you don't, it, the only way that you make the pro- the process change is by getting involved and saying, like, you need we need to change the system and here are some solutions. I think earlier you had uh, Scott on he, and he was talking about um, different ways that you could actually schedule the, the national primaries. And I think that there's a lot of interest in that. As he mentioned, National Association of, of State Secretaries are very are endorsing a plan similar to that. Um, and if you take a chance, if any of your listeners have an opportunity to uh, visit fixtheprimaries.com, you can see a number of different solutions that include, you know, first uh, smaller states going and then larger states or regional primaries that happen in rotating schedules. And so there's a lot of different ideas that are that people are discussing and what we really need to do is is have voters citizens in really engaged in this process and having discussions local discussions discussions with their current leaders and then really bringing this to to a, a, a national vote in terms of like bring it to congress for possible uh introduction there or to um within the states for them to really work together to kind of put this pl- plan uh, in place because i think that you know we we can say none of the above but really what we need to do is voters need to be engaged in the process citizens need to be engaged in their democracy you need participation in order for democracy to move forward and you need it in order for it to change if you're not interested if you don't like the way the system is working now you need to be involved so that that there is change that happens and so i think that's what's exciting about not only proposals to change the schedule for uh 
primaries, but also introducing things like ranked choice voting into the voting process, because it's not just important to deal with when primaries are happening, but also how we're counting the votes, how how voters are actually able to express their vote and actually have their vote count. Another thing that happens with our, our primary system right now is that there's over half a million votes that have been basically wasted since the the primaries have begun because can uh voters voted for candidates that have already uh ent- exited the race so you have voters who have ex- went did their democratic process their their duty went to the the polls you know voted for the candidate they really really liked and their vote is wasted it doesn't count um and and there's a feeling like you know i think one of the earlier callers said like you know what's the point what's the point if if that's what's going to happen to your vote so we need to find a system that really makes sure that every vote counts in in our primary system uh in our election systems so that voters really have the power to choose the candidates choose the people that represent them and that's what that's what's really really important and i hope that voters will kind of think through that process and and think through with the different ways that we can make that happen you yeah you you just mentioned something that austin was tweeting at us we need to deal with the 500,000 wasted votes for candidates that drop out ranked choice voting uh, austin writes would solve this too let's go to brian in new haven hi brian you're on with michelle whitaker hey michelle and john uh First time caller, I listen all the time. But I have a question regarding the Republican primary. Um, I'm a never Trumper, and I saw that there was an undetermined uh, option on the ballot. And I was wondering if that meant that I was voting for an unbound delegate that on the first ballot could vote whatever way he wanted to, or if that just meant that uh, you know my vote wouldn't really matter for anything or count for anything. I, uh, undetermined is 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 what it says, Brian. It was something like that. I can't particularly remember the way it was worded, but it was something to that effect. M- Michelle, can you help him out? I- I'm not familiar with that option on the ballot, but um, Brian, if you do contact our office, visit um, fairvote.org, and uh, you can go to the About Us section, and-, and you can contact me or another member of our staff, and we can take a look at that and uh, get some clarity on what that, that means. But I'm not familiar with that, that yeah. option. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you. Th- thank you very much, Brian, and I'll try to... Uh, I'll try to ask the Secretary of State when we talk to her later on today. She'll be joining us for our special coverage at 8 o'clock. Barbara's in West Hartford. Hi, Barbara. Hi. What, what's on your mind? You're on the air. I, I just don't understand what a delegate is. I, who, who votes in a delegate? Where are they? How did I vote on every election? And I have never voted that I know of for a delegate. What's a delegate? That's a great question, Barbara. So, Michelle, what's a delegate? Delegates are elected representatives for from the states that co- go to the national conventions for the parties, and they are not only there to um, nominate a presidential candidate, but they're also setting policies for the for the particular party. So they're the part the policy the party may be uh, deliberating on a party platform. Those delegates that are elected from each state are the ones who help to determine what the party platform is. So, uh, delegates are important. Um, if you, I'm a Maryland voter, and so our ballot includes not only the list of uh, uh, congressional candidates that are running, the presidential candidates that are running, but also the list of delegates that are for the particular parties. And so, there's a process that if you're participating in that, um, that that's one thing that you may have to vote on that you're not familiar with. And there are, in some cases, you may see some advertisements for delegates that are running usually that's very within like uh, 
close-knit communities that they know that delegates are running and they're encouraging people to uh, to vote for them. But I, I would say probably most voters aren't familiar with the, the number of the delegates that might be running in their state and actually selected. In some states, the, the delegate selection process actually happens after the primary. So voters go to, the, they vote in the primary and then uh, the the state party meets and they have a process for selecting uh, those delegates. So it very again the process varies. It varies state to state uh, within the parties because they have their own rules for how they select their their delegates. So um, if you're interested in becoming more involved with your particular party, it's good to understand those rules so that you know how you can participate fully and maybe even get elected to a delegate but, for but a future. It's uh, so com- interesting, uh, though, Michelle. I, I can just I can just hear Barbara and many others throwing up their hands and saying, "What? I just I, you you explained it all very well, but it's so confusing, and I don't even know what happens in this state. And do I get to vote for these delegates? And how do they get chosen? And there's the different types of delegates. And yeah. the fact of the matter is that as we started the program with anything that adds to confusion. One might think would add to someone staying home and saying, you know what, I just don't get it enough to even want to take part. And the thing that probably holds us back is more people not wanting to take part. Well, I, Look, we got to take a break. When we come back, a lot of people have their ideas. I'm also going to unveil the f- very few pointed plan, the Dankowski plan, that involves some of the ideas we've already heard today. How would you fix our primary system on a primary day in Connecticut? Get out and vote, but also call us, 860-275-7266. This is where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up tomorrow, our weekly news roundtable, The Wheelhouse, will pull apart all the results in the Connecticut primary and the other primaries across the Northeast. Uh, Bill Curry and Kalila Brown-Dean will join us in studio, along with Colin McEnroe, and we'll also hear from you. Of course, we've got special election coverage coming up tonight at 8 o'clock. Uh, me and Colin at first talking about what's happening in Connecticut. Then we'll turn to NPR coverage at 9 o'clock. Hope you can join us. Today we're trying to fix the primary system. A lot of people have been complaining that this system is not what they signed up for. People have called it everything from rigged to unfair. The question is, is it the best system we could possibly have? Michelle Whitaker has big ideas about this. She's communications director for Fair Vote, and she joins us today from the studios of NPR in Washington, D.C. We're going to get to some more of your phone calls at 860-275-7266. Right after this, so, so Michelle, I want to roll this out for you. This is a very few points that I think are important. I'll call it the Dankowski plan, but it's already stuff we've talked about a little bit. The first is I really believe that there's far too much weight placed on these early voting states like New Hampshire and Iowa. It really disadvantages states that uh, come traditionally later in the process. And as Scott McLean was talking earlier about Connecticut could try to get up early, but then all the states would try to get up early. How about we do this? We hold four regional primaries. The regions are drawn to be similar in total delegates and each representing a diversity of political affiliations, as well as other key measures of diversity. They include both big states and small states. And these regions rotate every four years. So no region holds a permanent advantage. So sometimes the Northeast will vote first and sometimes the Southeast will vote first. Uh, the campaign is condensed and focused over just a four-month time frame, starting in February, heading up until May, and that's it. It's going to be less expensive, and no candidate can get the number of delegates needed until all four primaries are complete. What do you think about that, Michelle? 
Michelle's uh, going to come back with us in just a moment. But let me go through some of these other uh, ideas before we head to that. Um, Saturday voting is an important one. The primary votes are held on the first Saturday of each month from February to May. This could increase turnout and balance the table for working people. Same-day voter registration under this plan would be mandatory. So Saturday voting is something that we haven't tried in all states, and it would be something that would get more people to the polls. Open primaries, certainly that's something that we don't have in Connecticut. Every eligible voter can vote in a primary for any candidate. This will increase participation and balance the power of the parties. Caucuses are banned because they violate the basic premise of secret balloting. And, of course, this ranked choice voting that uh, Michelle was talking about, that's such a good idea. Actual votes then matter, and we're picking the candidates that people actually want. So those are a few ideas. Let's get some other ideas from Les in Hebron. Hi there, Les. Go ahead. You're on where we live. Yes, thank you, John. Yeah. I, I think there's just a whole paradigm shift that needs to happen. You're looking to fix a system that has no reason to exist in the first place. I have a big problem with the fact that the Democratic and Republican parties contend that, well, you know, these are our little, you know, established parties. We get to, you know, make up our own rules and we decide whatever. But as far as I can tell, there are state and federal laws associated with these voting. They're using my public school you know, to do voting where I voted this morning. These are not, you know, like the Lions Club, as, you know, that they can just, you know, decide whatever they want. The whole concept is, and it's made worse by the, uh, the news media, that shows these party elections as if they're akin to the constitutionally mandated, you know, federal election. And it's just ridiculous. These parties should not exist. We should not have primaries to begin with. Well, in, unless, you know, this gets to one of my, my big issues here that we've talked about already a little bit, but it's important. You're fed up that they're using, uh, you know, whether it's town-run uh, buildings, using state funding to put on these, these party primaries. I mean, I suppose if the parties wanted to do it the way they, they do it, they could rent out the Elks Club in town and they could hold their own party however they wanted to. That is really how it's done in caucus states. So if they want to do it that way, well, maybe you just have them pay for the whole thing. Les, thank you so much for that. I think Michelle's back, and I don't know if you heard some of my ideas or Les's idea that just came through, but I really think that this this notion of of regional primaries, Michelle, is something that we, we should consider. Yes, I'm back. Uh, I I do think that's one idea that really has merit, and we should look at it. I think that's the the a proposal that the national state um, association for uh, state secretaries they've uh, endorsed a plan similar to that. Um, I I think again the question is figuring out what the right balance in terms of the schedule f- for every. Uh, for states to participate, for voters to really have a voice throughout the election. Um, and then I, I do want to emphasize the the fact that we shouldn't just look at when the, the primary will happen, but also how we're counting the votes. And, and as you mentioned, there's a difference between caucuses and primaries. And so there, there are also some questions that we need to answer in terms of how does how does your vote count in the process that you have right now? How does your vote count in a caucus? We've seen in in some of the early caucuses, like uh, in Nevada and a couple other states, that you know they they did do a tally there, but maybe they don't have to report back the national numbers. Uh, this was in a couple of Democratic caucuses. So again, you have this question about like you you voters participate, but but how much of their 
that vote is actually counted and carried forward in the election. So we need to we need to figure out what what works in terms of a date, a schedule for for primaries to happen. But we also need to figure out how we're counting votes so that every voter can participate in a meaningful election. So so, so this idea of, of the schedule is important. And, and I, I brought up the idea that some states have gone to Saturday voting. Uh, Joel tweets at us Saturday voting. John, thanks a lot. Say observant Jews. Well, you raise a really good point, Joel. The question is, how do we get to a point in which we have a system that advantages as many people as possible so they can go to the polls? Are are we able to do things with more early voting? Do we have multiple days in which people vote in primaries so that we can get as many people there as possible? An awful lot of working people can't really get there on, to the polls on Tuesday. How do you follow this idea of, of how to get more people to the polls and what day we do it, Michelle? Uh, that's a that's a great question and one that we need to figure out. And and as the caller mentioned, uh, you know, Saturday voting doesn't work for for all uh, citizens. So we need to figure out what the right balance. Early voting is a great option. Um, you know, being able to vote absentee. But you know, I'm I'm going to keep stressing this, but I think it's important not only to figure out how when people can vote and and how early they might be able to vote in that election, but how their vote counts. Because especially again, if you have early voting in in states, but a candidate drops out early, then that early voter. Uh, if they voted for a candidate that drops out, they they're not their vote isn't counted. They're, they're it's wasted in that in that election. And so again, if we move towards a system of ranked choice voting, if we have ranked ballots, and so that voters could really rank the candidates, and if their candidate drops out of the race or doesn't uh, earn enough votes, that they still have a voice, and their second choice matters. And then when you introduce ranked choice voting, that also changes the, the dynamic of how candidates are participating in the election. And, you know, we see that there are certain states, you know, we're not seeing this necessarily in the primaries yet, but we'll see this definitely in the general election in terms of how presidential candidates are, what states they're engaging, what voters that they're engaging. We see this in local elections as well, in state elections, How you know, what candidates, where they're going, what neighborhoods they're going to and reaching out to, to uh, voters. Mm. You can change that when you have ranked choice voting. So I think, again, that's what Fair Vote's all about. We're, we want to look systemically at issues that are impacting our democracy and how we how every voice can count in an election. And so we want to make sure that the the solutions that we come up to, great, there's a better schedule that we have, but we also have addressed the fundamental issues of, like, my vote should count, my vote should matter. Well, let's get to a few more phone calls before we run low on time. Joshua is in Naugatuck. Hi, Joshua. Hi, thanks for taking my phone call today. Yeah, what's up? So I'm a Trump supporter, and I showed up at my polling location, and I was informed, um, apparently I'm an undecided voter. And I had a deadline, which was noon yesterday, to uh, apparently pick a party in order to vote in today's primary. Yes, indeed. And that, that was something you didn't know about, huh? That was something that I was not informed about. Yeah. And I got the impression that I wasn't the only one. I mean, in the brief amount of time that I spent at the polling location, um, I ran into a gentleman who was a working blue-collar man um, who was also quite upset that he was an independent voter that thought he had no say in today's primary. And Joshua, you raise a really good point. Thank you so much. We've heard this from, and we've been wondering about whether or not, especially new Trump voters, new Bernie Sanders voters, people who are engaged for the first time to want to enter into a primary vote, uh, don't know all the rules. Of course, in Connecticut, we've got different days. If you're affiliated with a party and you want to switch parties, that's a date that's uh, a couple months ago. If you wanted to actually 
turn from an unaffiliated voter into a Republican, you had to do it by another deadline. And during the general election, of course, you can just show up on the day of now and register to vote. It seems as though that adds to the disclarity that many people feel is in our system. Marsha's in Watertown. Hi, Marsha. Oh, hello. Thank you for listening to me or letting me talk. Yes. Yeah, my problem is quite simple. I think that superdelegates who commit before we, the people, have voted have basically destroyed a democratic process. To me, it's like awarding the prizes for winning a race before the race has been run. Mm. Mark, I don't yeah. see how a superdelegate is representing anybody but the party elite if they're pledging before an election, a primary election has been run. And that bothers me because I switched and made sure that I can vote today. I switched from independent largely voting Democrat in major elections. I switched because of Bernie's passion, because he has involved people who did not vote Democrat. He has mobilized the younger people, which the Democratic Party really needs. I also look at Hillary Clinton's high unfavorability ratings, and I wonder what's going on. And, and Marcia, thank you very much for that. Sue, I'm going to give you the last word. Sue in Southbury, what's on your mind? Oh, Sue's not there anymore. So, hey, M- Michelle, th- this is really interesting. We're hearing a lot of uh, people who are upset about the system. And, and I, I guess I'm wondering if you feel like there's actually momentum to move something else. We've talked an awful lot about ranked choice voting. That's something a lot of people can get behind. I think it makes sense to figure out how we get things in order in a different way so that we're not front-loading these primaries and wasting all these votes. But do you think some of these big reforms, in about a minute or so, some of these big reforms we've talked about have any chance of actually moving through and changing in our lifetimes? In our lifetimes, definitely. And I want to just uh, go back to your voter uh, caller, Josh or Joshua, and just say, like, I I, you're not alone in this. There there are a number of whether they're Trump supporters, Bernie Sanders supporters, as Marsha mentioned, who are, you know, trying to make sure that they're affiliated with the right party so that they can participate. But they're, you know, they go to the polls and they're still uh, they missed some deadline that they weren't aware of. There are other states where the deadline was six months in advance and they weren't able to participate. So I, I, I'm really hoping that more voters, uh, as they're being participating in the process and maybe ex- having negative experiences, that they become energized to really change the system. Those who are uh, in the system and participating, that they also ask questions. Those who are part of uh, parties and, and maybe part of the Democratic or National Committee who are involved in planning these, that they actually listen to what voters are saying and say, okay, it's time for us to really think through this process and find a different way for voters to engage and have their voice heard and that and that we want to we want to exemplify what we want to see in our democracy. I think, you know, again, going back, there's a freedom of association. There's a freedom that that private parties, institutions have in order to determine their their uh, nominees. But again, you know, if you're inviting voters, if you're inviting the the population to participate in this process, then you need to make sure that it's democratic as well. And mm-hmm. so I hope that the I hope people keep up the energy. I hope that, you know, all the callers that called in and everyone that's listening, that they really take this as a, a chance for not only to talk about the solutions, but then to really engage and push with people. Um, you, I think you have some listeners in Rhode Island. There are some bills in Rhode Island uh, for ranked choice voting. So there's lots of opportunities. Michelle Whitaker is communications director for Fair Vote. You can find out more at fairvote.org. She joined us today from the studios of NPR in Washington, D.C. Great to talk with you, Michelle. Thanks so much, and keep up the good fight. 
Thanks, John. Great talking to you. Have a great day. If you want to continue this conversation online, it's at Where We Live on Facebook and Twitter. Of course, you can go to WNPR.org slash Where We Live and listen for our special primary night coverage tonight at 8 o'clock. I'll be with Colin McEnroe and other expert guests. Hopefully you can join us and get out and vote, at least if you're a Democrat or a Republican. <laughs>